0: You're listening to The Ram Report, a podcast about all things VCU basketball, brought to you by WVCW Radio and the Commonwealth Times, and in partnership with the ESPN Richmond Radio. The Ram Report is hosted by Ben Malakoff and Noah Fleischman. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and Noah.
2: Welcome to this week's episode of the Ram Report. VCU on a five-game win streak. Here as we head into the Richmond game on Wednesday, Noah Fleshman alongside Ben Malikoff and Ben. VCU winners of five straight after losing the St. Bonaventure in a meltdown of a second half. They got their revenge on February 12th last Friday, knocking the Bonnies off at home by three on ESPN2.
0: Yeah, it was a great national television victory and a revenge game for BCU. I know a lot of BCU fans were left with a bad feeling after this last St. Bonaventure matchup in New York. And now when they come to Richmond, they get the job done and earn their way up to first place. I know there's still five or six games left in the season, but it is still a good feeling for a lot of VCU fans and this one was more of a defensive matchup and I think that's something that we had to expect from two very good defensive teams. St. Bonaventure being the number one defense in the A-10. It started off very slow early on and Bonaventure pretty much in control, right? I, you know, I wasn't VCU's offense didn't score until that around 16 and a half minute mark so it took a while for VCU to finally get things going. But when they did, it, it, you know, it started. things started to work out a little bit better for them.
2: Yeah, things did for sure. For, for the Bonnies. he was all Jalen Attaway. He scored the team's first nine points, scored 23 points in the night. But for VCU, Bones Highland led the way yet again with 22 points, eight boards for the sophomore point guard. And he also drew six fouls. So, you know, something to note. But, Ben, the big thing in this game was offensive rebounds. Both teams made 22 field goals from the field, right? Both teams did. 22 VC was 22-61 from the field. The Bonnie's 22 of 50. Those second chance opportunities and second chance points were the difference in this game. And that really is what the message was after the game. That's what Coach Rose said after the game. That's what the players said. He said at halftime was they had to come out, and be aggressive on the offensive glass. They're sending two, three guys at every ball that came loose when they missed a shot and putting it back up again. Whether it was Levi Stockard in the paint, whether it was Corey Douglas, whether it was Ace Baldwin blocking. He he boxed out for a second, the smallest player on the court. Boxed out the biggest player on Oshun Osuni and was able to tap it back out. Just, I don't know, Ace Baldwin, he's the master of tapping the ball out and getting it back. He set up the Rhode Island game winner of the Bones. He did that yeah, um, on Friday night. And, I mean, Ben, when you think about it, the smallest guy in the court probably made the biggest impact by blocking out, if not the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest
0: dude on the other team. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up, and it just shows how – even though ace baldwin is so young he is so experienced and he knows what he needs to do to win college basketball games on big time stages and like you said he's done it before and just getting in the mix with a guy who you know has has pro has nba or pro next level talent literally just using his body no comparison Oshun Oshuni, you know is, is way bigger could have stomped on ace baldwin if he had to but ace just you know really risked himself and, and you know put his body out there for the rest of the team and you know that's a big reason that vcu won this 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 game plays like that, you know, if there weren't plays like that, then I'm not sure if VCU does win this game. And you talk a lot about second point or second chance opportunities. The free throw shooting for VCU, it's been so good all season, and it was really good, especially in the first half of this game uh, and late on in this one for VCU Bones. He was 9 for 10 from the line, made some huge shots at the end of the game, and other guys are getting involved too. Vince Williams, he was 5 for 6 at the line as well. Jameer Watkins, he's done so good at at drawing fouls uh, as the season has gone on. At the Rhode Island game, he drew some big ones, hit his free throws. This one, he was two for four, but he was drawing fouls and, and, you know, making them pay. And that was a big strategy in this game. St. Bonaventure is not a deep bench at all. It was about going out them and getting them to foul out. And eventually, they Bones Highland drove right at Oshun Oshuni and got him to foul out with about three minutes left in the game. And that was a big difference maker.
2: It was. I think St. Bonaventure entered the game with the least amount of minutes played for their bench players. I mean, they run their starters. There are five starting players. Attaway played 36 minutes. Asuni played 36. He probably would have played all 40 if he didn't foul out. Lofton played 37. Welch played 40. And then Jaron Holmes, who got in foul trouble early, only played 25, making Alexander Vasquez off the bench, played 20 minutes. It's a lot of time for a guy, a team that Really doesn't play. They only played seven players. Eddie Creole came in, played three minutes, missed one field goal attempt. But VCU was able to get Asuni out. And, I mean – after he fell out, VCU was the bigger team inside. You got Levi Stockard, you got Corey Douglas, who banged up, but he still made a big impact on the game. But yeah, second chance points, I think, is really where VCU won this game, especially with offensive rebound. East Baldwin, four offensive boards, only two on the defensive end. Also leading the way, there was Vince Williams with five offensive rebounds, almost half of over half of what he logged in that that category on the offensive end. So the boards on the offensive side really helped out. a Second chance points for VCU, 16-10. to 10. That's, where you, that's where you get the job done, as well as on turnovers, 18-11. to 11. Both teams scored 34 in the paint. So, I mean, paint was pretty even play as well. But VCU, they led by 12 in the second half. It got really close toward the end, a three-point win. And I think Coach Rose took a big sigh of relief. Can move on to the next one with Richmond coming up.
0: Yeah, it, it did get super close to the end there and it was pretty scary. St. Bonaventure ended up having that final shot and, you know, it just missed. It was really great defense from the starting five to really make sure that Bonaventure did not get that last opportunity. I really liked what Rhodes was doing towards the end of the game. When free throws were being shot, he was switching out uh, between Douglas Stockard and Watkins as well, giving Watkins some final minute opportunities. And we saw that also in the Rhode Island game, you know, a lot of trust in his young freshmen, but also with the older guys, Stockard and Douglas just making sure that they had a big enough lineup or to outsize uh, Bonaventure when they were getting in a lot of foul trouble and that's what really uh, pushed VCU across the finish line uh, towards the end of this one yeah
2: VCU doing a good job at making sure their big men did not get in foul trouble person that had the most fouls for VCU I mean if you go down the list Hassan had four fouls to be expecting a very physical game but everyone else three or less some of you guys even with none I mean Keyshank Curry, even though he played 10 minutes, was hobbling around. Did have a basket though. Um, he had none as well. Um, but again, ECU showed they can win big level games. This is a big level game. It was winner takes first place in Atlantic 10. They did that. But after the game, Bones Highland, he said, basically play it in simple. He put it saying, you know, this they're they're not they're not happy to be in first, right? This isn't the end goal. It's not to win the regular season title. We've seen it in the past where VCU wins the regular season title. A 10 tournament rolled around a couple of years ago and it didn't really go their way. And I mean, they made the NCAA tournament, but this is beside the point. And he was basically saying they're now the target of everyone in Atlantic 10. He goes, everyone's going to be giving them their best game because they're playing VCU now. It's not VCU has picked to finish ninth and it's like you're all, okay. It's VCU. You come in, and it's a ninth place team. This is a team that's first in Atlanta 10 that everyone's going to want to beat you because if these teams that are on the fringe making the NCAA tournament can beat a team like VCU, they may vault their chances and getting him into the field. So, I mean, plain and simple, Bones put it best. Basically, he's like, we're not walking around here smiling. It's literally what he said. He was like, there's still so much more to go, and this is a step in the right direction. Um, But also to note, Bones, 22 points, but wasn't the prettiest of shooting nights for the sophomore. 5 of 16 from the field, 3 of 12 from three. What did he do? He went back onto the court after the press conference was over, still in his game shorts and undershirt and just started shooting yet. And when we talk, when I asked Coach Rhodes about that, because that was during Rhodes' press conference, he basically put it simple, basically saying, if you're best player and likes the game as much as Bones and wants to get better, then that, that speaks pretty much everything you need to know about this VCC program, where even though your best player is going to play 30 to 40 minutes in the game, he still is playing like he's got to go back out there and get better because someone's breathing down his neck, which, I mean, we're probably going to up the entire year. But this is definitely a team that are built of blue-collar players that feel like there's always someone better than you on your own team and that they're playing every day for their response.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I asked coach about what the emotions were like after being in first place after the game, and he said a lot of the guys even though that they had won the game still were not satisfied with the way they played. They were still very disappointed and, you know, some of the things that had gone down in the game and that they wanted to get better. So, you know, he said he hopes that that guys will jo- join bones on the court after the game, but still so many of those guys know what they have to do to get better even after a big win like that. They're still not satisfied. It shows you just the mentality and what this team is is made up and about and they're getting some recognition for it too they just the poll just came out a few uh just an hour ago vcu received 10 votes in the ap in the ap poll this week which is uh the most they've gotten this year i believe
2: it is the most they've gotten this year most in the atlantic 10 so far this week st louis right behind them receiving five votes vcu i think good for 34 38 somewhere in there i counted earlier but you know when i get above 10 my counting starts to, you know not really high as well but with that being said, VCU being a team receiving a big big AP votes, Wednesday night's game against Richmond at the Siegel Center will play a factor in that. And if they win, they could give you more votes. Richmond's a team that's beaten a lot of good teams. So stay here because we have a conversation with Noah Goldberg, who joins us to break down the Richmond and VCU matchup.
0: Welcome back to the Ram Report this week with special guests from ESPN Richmond, Noah Goldberg. Noah, thanks so much for coming on, man.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here.
0: So... I've been following along on Twitter this whole dispute between the University of Richmond and their interesting COVID protocols. At first, they weren't allowing some students on campus. Obviously, still the basketball team was allowed, but you were one of the people who uh, the protocols were uh, regulating or not allowed on campus, right? What, what are the updates now? Are you allowed back on?
1: Yeah, so we're allowed back on now. So, so essentially what happened is, Richmond brought everyone back for uh, spring semester, mid or late January, I want to say. Um, and everyone had to get a COVID test when you come back. Of course, um, I'm an off-campus student. Um, and so they had the first week of classes and the deal was, is if you got your COVID tests, like your initial one before that first week of classes, if you got it, you got a negative, you could go to that first week of class. Being an off-campus student, me and all the other off-campus students were not prioritized because they want to prioritize the on-campus. So we couldn't get our COVID tests until one week later, which meant every off-campus student was online remote classes for the first week, just because we couldn't get a test. So we were all not allowed for the first week. We could still go use the gym and stuff, but you couldn't go to classes. Then once all that data comes back of the first initial testing of everyone coming back from home and break. They get a report. The data says 1.4% positivity rate among on-campus students. Sounds pretty good, like 1.4, pretty reasonable. 17% positivity rate among off-campus students. Sky high. That's super concerning, obviously. That data is kind of skewed because a lot of that is Greek life, like some of the fraternities or even some athletic teams maybe um that you know they have houses right so 10 guys live in a house that rips through so that people kind of think that data was a little bit skewed but they they see that data that's still a scary number like that's high they ban all of us off-campus students from everything so i couldn't go to class i couldn't go use the gym um all i could come to campus for was to get my covid test and that's it um obviously you you guys kind of mentioned and i I wrote an op-ed in the collegian um that st louis game which i'm sure you guys are going to want to talk about we'll get into um obviously it was supposed to be a big game it's espn two it's a ranked team coming to the robin center you know we had dayton last year but you don't, you don't get that game every every year um and and me I, as you guys said you know i'm with espn richmond i'm not a student reporter i'm with a espn affiliated organization um i've talked to john calipari i've interviewed Lenardi and goodman like i have pretty i i think you know i have a pretty good reputation and i didn't think i'm a student reporter. So I didn't really worry about getting into the game. I'm like, I'm not here in a student capacity. Um, and I get a text from a PR guy within the team tells me, you know, this isn't an athletic decision. This has nothing to do with the athletic department. This is strictly from the school, but the school banned all off-campus students. And Noah, you're an off-campus student. You can't go to the game. It's not our fault. Even though they had media members coming in from St. Louis, Missouri, flying on planes to go to it, they could go in because it was an af- that was an athletic decision. I'm a student, so they were treating me as a student and not as a journalist. So, unfortunately, there were two weeks there. I couldn't go to campus nor anyone from off campus. Um, now, as you'll see, obviously, Richmond just had a two-week COVID pause, right? And uh, you just heard me talk about how bad COVID was. I don't. I think those are pretty related uh, that we had a terrible COVID outbreak on campus, and then the team gets it, goes into a two-week pause. Um, it didn't kill me because ended up the game gets postponed, and I didn't even – Uh, have to go but good news is Richmond's back off the COVID pause just played D3 St. Mary's students are back allowed so I'm actually going to be in a classroom on Wednesday for the first time in 11 months so very exciting and numbers are starting to dip a little bit so fingers crossed can't afford any more pauses but things are starting to starting to look
0: look a little bit better. Wow so you guys actually are going back into in-person classes because we don't even have in-person classes here.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a hybrid model. Um so it's it's left up to the professor, it's a case by case basis. Um I have one professor who is just on his own shows versus online, every class is online. Um some of them kind of will do, I know a couple will do like half the class comes in one day and it's hybrid. Other classes half the other day I have some professors who some days will go remote and some won't. Um so I would say it's it's a good mixture, but I would say more classes are in person than not in person, but you can do anything online if you want to.
0: Right. So, like you said, Richmond coming off this long COVID pause now when they finally got back into action last night against D3 opponent St. Mary's. And I know they got a lot of, a little bit of slack for playing a D3 opponent. They said that was the only pers- or opponent that they could find and play against during that time. How do you feel like they came back out and played? I know it was a blowout win, obviously. But still, what were some of the things that you picked up on after this long pause?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think watching that game, it was – you know, the score is mistelling, but they definitely needed that tune up. Um, and, you know, hindsight's 2020 20, and, you know, we can say, well, you know, maybe they could have tuned up against a lower D one. And, and I don't think Chris Mooney saying after the game, I don't think that was smart by him to say we couldn't find a D one opponent, but we wouldn't have taken it anyways. You could have found a D one opponent. There were multiple A 10 teams available. So that's bullshit. But what I will say is I, I actually do agree with them. Cause they got a lot of flack for playing this game. And I mean, you know, St. Louis came out of their lengthy pause and, and, Took a couple of losses. Um, of course, Richmond, LaSalle, huge loss. Um, and, and I think people also forget after Richmond's first COVID pause, which was a lot shorter, it was, I think, less than a week. It was coming back from Kentucky. They had a few a, a short pause, and they came out and added a game against Wofford and almost dropped that game at home to Wofford. Um, so so that's the, the data is out. It's pretty clear that teams are coming back slow. And you know your team in particular. Um, has has not responded well great off these pauses so i thought it was a a pretty smart move to do that i also look at it as okay even if you could have played george mason right like at this point in the season with reschedules and stuff we've heard mooney and other coaches talk about you know the conference is trying to get these top teams basically the top four as many resume building opportunities as they can they're going to schedule games based on how they think those games are going to help our at-large considered teams if you're Richmond at this point in the season, does playing George Mason help you in any way other than creating a possible trap game? Absolutely not. So it, the the risk-reward is not there. So I, I I think it was smart. They're not trying to practice their skills against St. Mary's. They're just trying to get the blood flowing and get back into it. Um, I'm a little worried. I actually almost wondered, you know, maybe you still want it a little bit more intense, right? Because you don't want to go out and play super low intensity, be lackadaisical, and then come into BC on Wednesday and had your energy too low. So I think that is something you have to consider. But if you watch the game, even though they blew them out in the first half, actually looked kind of sloppy. I want to say they had like eight first half turnovers. Some of them were just super, super careless. Like there was one where Grant Golden got a rebound on the glass and just turned around, just did not look behind him and just went to flip it to Gilly to bring it up court. And some I don't I can't name a player on St. Mary's, but just (laughs) like picked it from him. And you, you know they won by 40. It doesn't matter. But it was little stuff like that, mental miscues. You know, Tyler Burton, especially, the youngest guy in the starting lineup, actually looked a little bit slow and, and shaky and wasn't doing too much. So I think watching it, despite the score, it it makes perfect sense why they played this game, and they're going to take flack for playing a D3 team. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get a game that's going to help your resume at all, tune up, get warmed up. So, so, But it was definitely a needed tune-up.
2: Yeah, yeah, you talked about it being a tune-up. Um, I did notice, though, that nobody from Richmond played – like, nobody played really over 20 minutes in the game. Everyone played around 20 minutes. Which I feel like even if you practice, you're probably going to play more than 20 minutes in the practice. I don't know how, how much of a up it is if you're not there for 20 minutes and not really playing. I don't know, because Richmond was talking about how it was a way to, to you know, tune up and get ready for a game-like situation. But I guess if you're not playing the same amount of minutes, you would be against a 10 school. I don't know how much that would do as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. You're right. And we saw, you know, this, the, Jamon Bailey got the most minutes he's ever had and scores first career points. That's a guy that usually Isaiah Wilson, the, the other freshman gets, you know, anywhere from five, sometimes 10 minutes in a game, usually less than that. So, so to see him scoring in double figures and Jamon Bailey getting significant minutes, totally. I mean, these guys were not playing, but, uh, but again, I think that was part of it. Like when they, I, I think we kind of have different definitions of what a tune-up is. And, and again, I did ask Chris about this after the game. Cause like, this the the tune-up was again not to really face competition as much as it was just to see someone that's not your scout team on the other side of the ball and just be in a game not even a game situation just get moving again literally just a stamina thing these guys are just fatigued and you know because when they were paused it's not like they could work out they just couldn't practice like these guys literally were sitting in a room they weren't getting physical activity at all so but again like i I said a little bit before you know that's to a point because at the end of the day if you then go out there you blow this team by 40 and you know, like you said, you're not playing over 20 minutes. You're not very focused. They looked very unfocused throughout the whole thing. It's like, at what point, like, is this maybe hurting you? And are you not locking in mentally and you're not ready for Wednesday? Um, So I think that's a real, a real consideration. Um, But again, COVID's all so weird and, and so strange. I think you have to do what's right for your body and respond to that. And they said after the game, they feel like they're only at 80% in terms of conditioning. So, so for them, I think, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of a worry that you're not ramped up enough for this game Wednesday, but I think the risk reward, I think the risk is a lot worse of throwing yourself in the fire and dropping a big game at home to a George Mason or or going out there and really getting exposed. So I think there's a lot of sides to it, but I think it's really just a risk reward balance here.
2: Yeah. And then you fast forward to Wednesday, this game was supposed to be played at Richmond. Now it's being played at VCU due to, I figured it out. It was, the last game of the year that got flipped to Richmond hosting VCU was because it's in March and VCU was hosting the women's tournament. So they couldn't they couldn't play at VCU, so they had to flip them around. But VCU, one of the youngest teams in the Atlantic 10, playing Richmond, if not one of the oldest teams in the Atlantic 10. So does Richmond's experience help them or does VCU's experience, I guess, help or hurt or inexperience, I should say, because it's you got the polar opposite the team with a bunch of upperclassmen and a team that's made up of eight sophomores and freshmen.
1: Yeah, it's it's that's I mean, that's what makes this matchup so intriguing. And I think, you know, if this matchup was in the beginning of the year for for whatever reason, if conference play started the season, you'd say it's super in Richmond's favor. Like that was the whole thing against Kentucky um, going back into that matchup at the, at the time. Obviously, they're not anymore, but they were top 10 and Kentucky's a mostly freshman team. And it was, you know, the Richmond seniors. There's no offseason season. How much does it help these guys gel? Um, and in VCU, you know, Mike Rhodes said, what do you say earlier in the season, right? We're going to beat some teams we shouldn't beat and we're going to lose to some teams we shouldn't because they're they're super, I mean, VCU is incredibly talented. It's just, we haven't seen them play together. So so I think it will be interesting. Um, I think that obviously not having fans and crowd and energy, like that's the, that's the kind of stuff that a big team or an older team knows how to handle more. So I think that's an advantage. Maybe Richmond loses a little bit is that, an older team is more suited for a hostile environment than a younger team. So I think maybe that's a consideration, but it's it's interesting because even though VCU is a young team, they've taken care of the ball so much better lately. And then on the flip side are so suffocating and what they do best is taking you out of your comfort zone. And that's the thing an older team usually does to a younger team. So if you look at Richmond, they're also a low turnover team. So if there is going to be someone built to handle what VCU does, it's probably Richmond because they're older again, they're experienced, um, and they know how to handle that, they run a pretty intricate offense. But at the same time, you know, we've seen them struggle against VCU's trap as as recently as last year in that first game against VCU. Um, so so yeah, it's gonna be a really interesting battle. And again, coming off the COVID pause, right? So if Richmond goes out there and looks sluggish and and VCU controls the pace of the game and, and makes you play at their speed, it could get ugly really fast. Um, so so I do think that'll be an interesting factor to watch, but If the experience is going to help with one thing, it's going to be coming off of the COVID pause because they know what they have to do to get ready for it. But it's definitely something to watch for.
0: And, you know, another thing, you talk about how good VCU has been protecting the ball, but Richmond on the other end, opponents are averaging 16 turner turnovers per game against them as well so they've done a good job of forcing the ball out so it could be something to watch especially how good you know we all know how good gilliard is at at doing just that but the whole team as well it could be one of the main focuses to watch on a very young team like vcu
1: yeah yeah no doubt Um, i'm these guard matchups are going to be Super fun to watch. I mean, Blake Francis and Bones Highland and Jacob Euler and Ace Baldwin. I mean, it's going to be a blast. You're going to see them switching back and forth on each other all the time. And we kind of got robbed of that last year because Blake Francis didn't play in that first matchup. And then Marcus Evans didn't play in the second matchup. So that was another year that could have been really fun. And and Bones didn't really play as much as I thought he should have played more in the first game and especially more in the second game. Um, but, but I'm pumped because in that first game too, like Bones only played like 20 minutes and he was like five or six from three. And I mean, in the few minutes he was in there, he's the best player on the court. And you're like, why is this guy not out here starting? Um, so he was ready to tear Richmond apart. So I'm interested to see what happens there, especially considering, you know, last year Richmond's defense was really improved and we we're kind of like, oh, they figured it out this year. You've seen our smaller guards and Blake and Gilly get exposed for their height a little bit more. So I'm interested to see if, you know, Bones just tries to, cause he's a lot taller if he tries to shoot it. Uh, over them a lot obviously ace is a little bit shorter so you're not as worried about uh, about that so I'm interested to see what happens there especially because I do think Blake's going to be on bones a decent amount and Blake has kind of taken a step back this year defensively
0: yeah, and, and you know, between between these two teams, you know, the defense uh, is one of the matchups that we looked for when VCU played St. Bonaventure because of how you know experience and how good these two defenses are. But Richmond's offense is, is so high powered, the number one field goal shooting team in the A10, just shooting under 50%. I think it's at 48 right now, second and three point shooting. So, you know, another thing to really look out for is how this VCU young defense overall is going to, you know, guard against the shooting of Richmond, who you know is probably the best in. In the a-10 if not the best in the a-10 and you know that could be the one advantage that could put richmond over vcu or make this matchup very even
1: yeah yeah totally and and we just saw richmond and they're a really good shooting team as you mentioned the numbers are good but particularly the three-point shooting they're very streaky and very inconsistent um and so i I think that you know Blake Francis is a big X factor there is that's just a super high volume guy and when he's on they're almost unstoppable and when he's off you can't have anyone else being off too um so so I think they shot it really really well I think they tied a robin Center record they hit like 163s uh, against Saint Mary so I don't know if you know you're playing a, a dog shit d3 team you're just feeling real real comfortable and you're kind of in your groove but but I do think there is something to say there is that even if they are comfortable and they're getting pretty open looks against St. Mary's again, they still basically hadn't been playing basketball for 19 days. So, you know, am I expecting them because of that game to go shoot the lights out of the ball Wednesday? No, probably not, but, but definitely. Um, and, and there's such an interesting, interestingly built offense where I, th- I think VCU is actually kind of built to handle them pretty well, because my, my first thought looking at this matchup was, okay, well who, who guards Grant gold? You don't have Marco Santos Silva anymore. And, you know, obviously he wasn't the tallest, but he played like a like a seven footer. Like he was so big in the second bounce, um, and and VCU doesn't really have that presence that six nine, six ten, six eleven guy this year to handle Grant. But I was looking at analytics; he only takes like like thirty eight percent of his shots at the rim. He takes a lot of long twos and some more threes this year than he did before. But Grant does a lot of work in the high post and the mid range area, so you don't necessarily need like an Oshunoshuni to guard grant like what you guys have with whether it's a mix of Hassan Ward and Vince Williams and Levi Stockard like you can kind of guard him by committee so I'm interested to see what VCU does um, just trying to make give him a lot of trouble denying him that first entry pass because it's less about guarding him one-on-one on ball as it is just keeping him out of his spots and taking the positioning away yeah for sure and
2: if last thing we've got for you Noah is if you could say one, like, what is the one X factor in this game? That's going to be like, if, if Richmond can do this, then they'll win. If VCU can do this or contain this, then that'll be the key. Like what is the key to your team really getting out of this game?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is going to be the most cliche answer, but it's going to be hit shots. I mean, that's been rich Richmond's biggest thing all years. Just do they hit shots? Um, and You know, whether it's free throw shooting, I want to go back two years ago to when, you know, VCU won by like 14 or 15 in a game where Richmond went like 50 percent at the free throw line with like 20 or 30 attempts. Like that was a game. It's like, okay, you hit 10 more free throws and that's a close game. Um, I think last year in that in the second matchup between the two teams, I want to say VCU was like four of 21 from three, whereas Richmond hit like over 10 threes in that game. So, so the thing with these two teams is, and especially like we've talked about with that suffocating defense and the fact that Richmond also can force a lot of turnovers from you is we know things are going to happen on defense is you have to take advantage of the clean looks that you're going to get. So, so at the end of the day, it's, it's a cliche, it's a cop-out answer, but that's really what it comes down to is who's hitting the shots.
0: Should be a very interesting matchup here on Wednesday, a more experienced team versus a, you know, a little bit less of an experienced team, but no, we thank you so much for coming on the Ram Report. Really appreciate it. We'd love to have you back anytime, man.
1: Yeah, anytime, guys. Always, always happy to come on.
0: Great. So once again, VCU plays Richmond on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for listening to the Ram Report.